Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? This whole party. Down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. I'm down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Are you ready to get down with some D&D? I know I am. I am joined, as I am always joined, by the mighty, motivated, and meticulous Mad Wizard Merwin. What is up, Sean? I am getting chills all up and down my spine, Chris, and, and I have no idea why. It's just like this shadow has just come right across my house. I, I don't know. God, I feel on. it, too. It's it's creepy and, and terrible, and we're PG, so I can't say all the things I would normally say on an R-rated or NC-17 show. Oh, you know what it is, Chris? What? We've got Rob Schwab here. Oh my god, the demon lord is here? I made it! You did? It did! So, Rob, what's... How's it going? It's been forever since you've been on a Misdirected Mark show. You know, it's been pretty okay. Uh, I'm still alive, and that's pretty much the only thing I can say. No, it's not not the only thing I'd say positive, but yeah, I'm still... I'm hanging in there. I took a nice long break from conventions... And uh, I'm now psyching myself up for going back into the crucible once more. <laughs> I, uh, I, you've done a lot since since last I talked to you on a microphone. In fact, something like 130 products that are out there in the world for Shadow of the Demon Lord. One hundred and seventy-one. Seventy-one. Oh, I, I shorted you by forty. I'm sorry about that. I apologize. It's all right. He did the oh. other forty-one last night. I did. I did. <laughs> I am a machine, right? 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 Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I, I mean, uh, human beings, I suppose, could be considered machines, although that's the kind of machine work that could kill somebody yeah. you know, before their time. <laughs> I hear a lot of whiskey and, and cigarettes and other things that are not good for you help fuel that engine. Well, you know, I, I'm mostly just a beer guy these days. Oh, that, that sounds healthy. Healthier, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. All right. I've taken, I've taken a lot of steps to kind of get good with my body. Nice. I like to hear that. That's always, it's always good to be healthy. We we very much uh, promote healthy living around this director Mark Productions. Yeah. Um, Rob, we're going to ask you a bunch of questions, but first we always do announcements. So we have a few announcements and, and things that are going on out in the D&D world that we want to talk about. Um, the first one is there was a new Unearthed Arcana article that dropped about magical items in Eberron. Sean, uh, I went through this. Did you go through this? I went through it really quickly. Uh, I saw that there were three major... Uh, categories of magic items that they talked about they talked about arcane focuses common magic items and then war forged components was there anything that caught your eye in that article chris uh there were three things one from each thing okay uh the arcane focuses i'm really digging what they're doing with um the the enchanting of wood the enchanted wood type stuff and how there's different wood that different kinds of wood or, or molded wood that can do different kinds of things and, and they're not really super powerful bonuses or anything like that so like they're they're these cool flavorful things but they all have neat names, and they you can give them different looks then and whatnot. So it's kind of a uh, kind of hot, if you ask me. Yeah, and those are the ones where, depending on what kind of wood it's made from, you get a different bonus to certain types of spells. Correct, but they have neat names like Farian Ash or Irian Rosewood, or you know, yeah. Lambian Oak. I like I dig all that stuff. I like I like that kind of uh, space for Eberron. Like it's very much story based and flavorful, and got a lot of a lot of this uh, like cool stuff laid on top of the mechanical stuff. Yeah. One of the weird things I saw in that Arcane Focuses article was, or the Arcane Focuses section, was using focuses two-handed. And I was, I kind of scratched my head at trying to make uh, using a, an Arcane 
focus in two hands, similar to using a melee weapon in two hands to get some sort of bonus out of it. Um, I, I didn't, I didn't ruminate on it too much, but it just, it seemed first interesting and then, then I don't know, questionable about, is it worth going through to that extreme to, to get that mechanic in the game? It's not, that's why it's an optional rule. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That's, that's, I just wondered what your opinion was on it and that makes perfect sense to me. Yeah. It doesn't need to be that. Yeah, precise. Like the, the the new version of D and D doesn't need to be that precise. It it's taken yeah. away a lot of that stuff from like what you got from third and fourth. So it doesn't. Yeah, it's it's unnecessary. But it's a cool optional rule for people that want to use it. Sure. And uh, the common magic item. I see you and I had the same thought about the the band of loyalty. Right? Oh, it's great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Rob, I mean, th- it's a band of loyalty and. Uh, the, the idea is that if you are reduced to zero hit points while wearing this thing, you die instantly. It's like a cyanide pill for uh, for, for spies, for, huh. but it's via magic. So it's kind of neat. Okay, yeah, I, I'm sure. I don't think it's something I'd wear. <laughs> no, I, I wouldn't wear it either, unless, of course, it was like, well, if you want to take this job, you should totally wear this ring, right? Yeah. Right. It's more but, something that you'd see an NPC wear. Um, yeah, yeah, but that is then a thing to try to get off an NPC before you knock them out and whatnot. Yep, right? there you it's, go. It's cool, cool story beat then, and a cool extra thing to do in the middle of a of a fight or a situation. Mm-hmm. Um, then I like, I mean, I love me some Warforged stuff, and I love me Warforged components. And the docent is it was really cool in every other version of it, but this this version they've actually taken it to where I thought they should have just previously constantly. Like, it's essentially a magical AI. So it's an actual NPC that attaches mm-hmm. itself to you, and if you're not nice to it, it doesn't actually help you, and it might lie to you. So you should actually be nice to your docent. Okay, so it's it's a bit like a like an artifact in the sense that it has its own kind of intelligence and its own personality. Yeah, I, I'm I'm actually just going to sit here and say it's a magical version of an artificial intelligence because it's pretty much what it is for cool. Eberron. Okay. I mean, if if Eberron is stealing every freaking cyberpunk trope ever and just magic magicifying it, then you might as well just call it what it is. Okay. That's my yeah. that's my opinion anyway. That that makes sense. So you can check that article out on uh, the Wizards website. It's the latest on Earth Arcana. Hmm. So the next thing, D and D sports competitive play with prizes. This is actually going to be a real thing. Hey, hey, uh, Rob Schwab, do you have any hot takes on that? Uh, plead the fifth. <laughs> that's 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 a very diplomatic way to go about that, huh? I, I do th- I do think though that. Um, it's not entirely new. I mean, uh, competitive or competitive gameplay with Dungeons and Dragons goes back to the earliest earliest days of the game, where you'd play through the Slave Lords or Tomb of Horrors as a convention module thing. And as you guys know, uh, so I don't think it's that weird. Mm-hmm. Um, I have some big big questions about the role of a dungeon master in that kind of scenario. If there is even a dungeon master, if uh, how that's even going to work if it's part group versus group, how many players are per group. Just It's just, I'm not sure it was necessary or needed, and it kind of goes against this story-first approach, but whatever. Yeah, it really does. It's, yeah, it's it's just, I, we could have like five whole podcasts about this. I think um, we probably will have like five whole podcasts about this. <laughs> but, you know, one thing I want to know is that this isn't something that I've seen Wizards talk about. You know, this is a joint operation between Encounter Roleplay and D&D Beyond. Um, I don't know how much Wizards will be involved. You know, they talk about the rules that they're going to use for it, and they say at the end of the, the little press release thing, it says uh, 
the players will choose from 15 pre-generated characters and adapt the pre-existing Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition rules. So it's like they're taking it and making the rules something else to do this, perhaps. And I'm sure we'll learn more as the days and weeks go. Um, I think you know, growing up as a kid, we always did this. We we'd split up we'd run a normal campaign but about once a year we'd create characters and then just fight each other and i can't imagine many groups from that time who didn't do try this at least once and generally it was really fun for the about the first hour and then friendships were destroyed um, <laughs> and it took a whole year to get those friendships back before we did it again so you know it's it's interesting and can i talk about this for a second because i have, I have a lot of thoughts yes you do chris <laughs> Talk to us. I mean, we won't spend too much time because we have a guest, but um, so I used to play a lot of League of Legends, and I've watched a lot of like the League of Legends big like World Series tournaments and things like that. That, that was a, a while ago. Um, I haven't done it in a while, but like I'm very familiar with what they're kind of going for here. They're using, um, it's called MOBA. It's a multi-person online battle arena. Ask mechanics for this thing. Mm -hmm. So these 15 pre-generated characters. There's going to be a pick ban phase. So each of these teams is going to get to eliminate some of these characters from play and then they're going to alternate picking the characters that are left mm -hmm. so like not everybody gets to pick every character right like right. you can't you'll, you'll never have two of the same character mm -hmm. so it's going to be like that and it's going to be this battle arena fight so they're going to like use like the tokens since they're rolling i'm playing this on roll 20 they're gonna use like tokens on a map there's gonna be terrain and probably fog of war going mm -hmm. on from both sides so it's going to be kind of neat because I, I really like that that kind of thing because you can see how people are strategizing now the problem is is like uh, um, a regular MOBA is real time. Like D&D mm -hmm. &D takes turns, right? right? So hopefully they'll have a timer set so people can't take forever to take their turn. It's like, you better figure out what you want to do when your turn is up and you only have like 30 seconds to 45 seconds to do it to keep things moving really quickly. Yeah, it, it will be D&D-like in play. Let's put it that way. Yeah, it's not going to be D&D. Like th yeah. there's going to be a different kind of D&D, &D, I'll tell you that. Although I've never, like D&D &D to me isn't really any one thing like you right. can do a lot of different stuff with D&D these days so sure. uh, I'm, 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 I'm really interested to see how they do this yep I'm interested in the mechanics that they use and what the what the viewership is like and uh -huh. that's 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 my, that's my big two uh, not concerns but areas of interest let's put it that way I'll, I'll tell you one thing if it's cool and it looks like fun I, I will be implementing it for misdirected mark stuff at some point in the not too distant sure. future like that sounds like a great time to me We'll, Assuming we'll, this. we'll see how it goes. Yep. All right. Number three. What's the next thing? Yeah. You know, I heard that uh, Rob Schwalb, one of the designers of 5th edition D&D and of countless other D&D products, is going to start his own publishing imprint called Max Press to create D&D products under the 5E OGL. And that, that's news, right? That's, yeah, that's pretty big. It's kind of a if, thing. If only we had Rob here to talk about it. Oh, oh wait. Oh, wait. I'm here. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Hey. yeah. <laughs> I cast summon Rob. Wow. I so. Should. You should not cast summon Rob. That's how you end the world. Right. Don't this is that. true. It's more dispel you, you, Rob and hear his yes. face. Yeah, it's, it's, it's sad cry. Don't yeah. don't don't do it lightly. Anyway. Yes. Don't do it lightly. So, Mister Schwalb, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah. Uh, before we get into all this new information, for someone who's been living under a rock in the D and D world, do you want to talk a minute about? You know your path in the RPG industry, where you got started, and some of the lessons you've learned over the years. Sure, I, I started in, the, in this business uh, almost seventeen years ago, ish, uh, and I there were this was during the the early heyday of the D twenty boom, 
when the first OGL was dropped. And so there were a bunch of publishers who were out there looking for writers and content. And me being fresh out of school, decided that I was going to uh, try it. So that uh, couple jobs led to a couple more jobs. And then I eventually landed a developer gig with Green Ronin Publishing. Uh, there I worked on uh, more D&D uh, products, but I also uh, managed the Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay line. Um, I developed and designed a Black Company campaign setting for the D20, for the D20 system. Same thing for Thieves World. And then eventually, right before I left, uh, I also worked a bit on Dark Heresy. And then right before I left, I designed a Song of Ice and Fire role-playing based on George R. R. Martin's fantastic books. Mm-hmm. So then after that, uh, all during that time, I was also freelancing for Wizards of the Coast, and uh, I started working on the, the latter days of 3rd edition, so you can find my stuff in Elder Evils, Monster Manual 5, looking at my shelf, uh, <laughs> and Drow the Underdark, and a variety of other things as well, Tome of Magic. Uh, I also did some work on uh, two Star Wars supplements for the Saga edition, and then I uh, came on board as a full-time contractor for Wizard of the Coast and worked on uh, just about everything for fourth edition, um, with a few exceptions. Uh, and then after that, I w- uh, was invited to participate on the design team for fifth edition and saw that through to the end of the design phase. And here I am. Mm-hmm. Uh, the lessons I learned, uh, I treated my job as you would just fresh out of law school when I started. And so I probably burned through my 30s without knowing what, you know, I don't even know what happened in my 30s. They're gone. And it was a lot of 100-hour weeks and a lot of stress and frustration. But uh, so if I was going back in time, I probably would have done something a little different, probably worked not nearly as hard. Um, But the main thing, too, is it also... I'm still, uh, I'm, you're always learning and you're never going to know enough to do, to ever feel hundred percent solid about what you do. I know more now than I did when I started working on fifth edition. And I thought I knew a lot when I was on fifth edition <laughs> and you know, even that's, you know, and it goes on and on, you know, you go back and you just figure out all the lessons you learn about game design and content creation and system design and all the fun stuff that are involved in the whole process. What was what was the toughest uh, part of like going from third and fourth edition working you know as a full time contractor basically in, in terms of of the actual work you were doing was it was it design was it hardest was was it the mechanical stuff was it the more you know the fluff if you will of of the game you know what was easiest for you what was toughest for you I think the the big thing for me was just trying to wrap my head around the 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 nature of the changes. Uh, that were in, that were involved from transitioning from third to fourth. Um, you know, fourth edition saw a complete overhaul of the engine, and then also a complete overhaul of the IP. Uh, and trying to, because I'm such a grognard, I really wanted to try to bridge the gap between those as best as I could. Uh, so I looked for every opportunity I could, I, I could find that would allow me to create a magic item from a previous edition or do something that would at least show some awareness of what came before. At the time, I thought that was really important. Now I'm a little, I'm a little less, I feel a little less. uh, So I think that probably fourth edition could have, and probably should just be its own thing uh, and closed off at either end. Uh, For me, the mechanical design work wasn't that difficult. Um, It was just kind of 
finding new finding new ground to explore that wasn't that was both new and respectful of what's come before i think that was kind of that it's a tightrope you have to walk yeah when you were working for them you were working from home correct correct um how was that difficult did you spend a lot of time in renton um i would go it would start it i would go up a couple times a year um and then as uh, my workload transitioned from fourth to fifth i was up there every other month okay and was it oh go ahead chris so you worked on I mean, you were one of the, the primary designers of 5th Edition, this this game that so many of us love a ton, a lot, actually. Um, no, I, it, not to interrupt, so I, but I want to say, I, I want to just clarify, not a primary designer. I was I was a member of the team, uh, and it was very much a collaborative process. I think that my contributions were just as important as Bruce Cordell's and Peter Lee's and Rodney Thompson's. This is a, this is a dist- distillation of many, many people's views of D&D, and I'm just proud to have been uh, a part of it. Uh, do you think that the game, over the course of since it since it's come out to where it is now, uh, is it doing what you think that everybody's kind of kind of set out for it to do? And have there been any surprises along the way? I think it landed at the right time. I think there was an audience that was hungry for this edition of, or just hungry for Dungeons and Dragons in general. Uh, I think there's a, a new generation of passionate, creative folks. Uh, who are eager to explore what the game and the IP has to offer. Uh, I think I didn't know it was going to be then. Uh, and I'm still shocked at how much Dungeons and Dragons has kind of moved into um, what into its current place in pop culture. Everybody knows what Dungeons and Dragons is now. Uh, when I was growing up and playing, there was a huge stigma attached to it. Now, if you play D and D, you're one of the cool kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, I think that, you know, the, whatever, regardless of the edition or the system, and then, to be honest with you, I think that any we could have done anything and released a new edition of D&D and probably would have met with, a, with the same success um, just because of the nature of the marketplace. Um, I am a little surprised at the slowness of product release. Um, one of the, one of the challenges that comes from, uh, fifth edition, at least in my, in, in, you know, from my perspective is we did everything we could to make a complete game at the time. Um, and by making a complete game, it's can be some, sometimes challenging to carve out new space to create interesting material. That's not necessarily just straight adventures. I think anybody who has uh, made an effort to try to create more spells for the game, immediately runs into this overlap uh, that's caused by the fact that spells are now scalable based in spell slots. Mm-hmm. So you don't need seven versions of charm that have different kind of, they might have subtle differences uh, when one will just do fine for you. And the same thing with fire spells. Well, you've got fireball and burning hands that pretty much covers what you need to do. So it, it does, it does force, I think designers to be more creative um, than you're not necessarily a hole filling like we were in previous editions where, well, there's this grid of ideas and we have to plug all these things into these boxes and, and that's and that's what we're doing. This, I think, requires a little bit more finesse and a little bit more effort. Mm-hmm. And that finesse and effort are the hardest things for me about it 
right? Because anybody can just say, okay, I'm going to make a fifth, fourth level fireball, a fifth level fireball, sixth level fireball. But coming up with something brand new that comes at the rules in a different way, that's where you get into the danger of making something overpowered or underpowered or just plain bad. Right, right. And, the, you know, the other thing, too, is that the design, the, the guidelines that uh, we included in the Dungeon Master's Guide give you a range of expected spell damage, but it doesn't really communicate very well uh, the impact of imposing conditions. Uh, I don't think, I don't think it's probably as accurate. A fireball against one target, uh, and we're reducing the amount of damage that a, a spell should do based on the number of targets it could potentially affect. Doesn't always seem to be quite spot on, especially when mm-hmm. you are fireballing the one giant in the room and you're doing less damage that fireball. It would be better to do a targeted spell or something along those lines. Right. Um, so that, and of course, the the, the most uh, iconic spells tend to break those rules. So fireball will always be better than any other third level damage dealing spell that we could put out uh, because it has to be. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, it it when you lift the hood and you look at the inside of the game, it's there's some interesting things in there. There, there really is. There's a lot of um, this game in a lot of ways feels more art than science for the creation of spells and monsters and, and character classes and things like that. There's not a there's some guidelines, but the guidelines aren't as strict as they used to be. Um, so let's move on, if you don't mind, I'll move on to the next question. Unless, Sean, you had something else to ask. Nope, that's good. All right, so Max Press Imprint is where you'll be publishing your D&D content, starting with The Blasphemies of Bor Walsh. Correct. Cool. It's got 20-plus new spells for D&D, um, some other, a, bunch of new D&D, a bunch of other stuff in there, too. And this new D&D content is on the darker side, but still firmly in the PG-13 range of darkness. What exactly does that mean, since you're so well-known for your R and NC-17 and bordering on X-rated horrors of Shadow of the Demon Lord? Um, so, like, this first product was a way for me to explore delivering um, more sinister, kind of showing how magic can be made more sinister by uh, just kind of reshaping and the kind of not reshaping, but rather exploring different themes and ideas as far as what magic can deliver. And it's all bundled up. These these 20 plus spells in this product are bundled up under this. Um, in this kind of spellbook idea of this mad wizard by the name of Borb Walsh. And like all, and, and like uh, the designers of old, uh, obviously Borb Walsh is an anagram of my name uh, mm-hmm. because, you know, why not? Um, but anyway, so uh, that's the very first thing we're going to do with this book. It's just to kind of, uh, not book, but this short supplement is to just kind of get out there and, and give you some cool spells like, you know, Desecration, which is a wizard spell designed to, uh, really screw up celestials and, 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 and creatures or characters that are devoted to uh, gods and whatnot. And the idea here is the game master could, or dungeon master can use these spells to, to shock and awe the player characters, uh, while it also gives uh, players who have an interest in walking on the edges of acceptability something, something fun to play with. And for those fans who of, of Demon Lord, you'll see some things that are awfully familiar to uh, some of the things that lurk mm-hmm. inside of the page of that other game. Not awfully familiar, but some there's some overlap. Nice. I like it a lot. And as far as uh, kind of the restraint, I think PG-13 is, uh, can be stretched pretty far. Um, you know, in, uh, I think some of the things that I do in this thing, this book, or the supplement rather, is I'm just making sure that they're spectacular effects, they're evocative, they, the evil is kind of... Uh, buried in the intent and in the outcome 
Um, but none of it is graphic in the sense that sometimes spells in Demon Lord and other things I've worked on can be made uh, mm-hmm. shocking. Was it fun to uh, design a bunch of stuff like that and having to pull yourself back from, uh, I guess, what people consider your your ballywick these days? Uh, it was it was you know it was it was a lot of it's it's a lot of fun to work on on a project where I'm not uh, beholden to a particular set of ideas. Um, in this case. Uh, you know, with, with fifth edition design, as I mentioned before, it's a, it's a huge and uh, collaborative project that, you know, you have to make concessions because you're working with other people. And my vision of what D&D could be may not marry perfectly well with what other co-designers vision would be as well. And so we have to find common ground. And uh, and so in this case, I, I, it was liberating to be able to just, all right, I'm going to go back to this game that I, 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 I helped build and let's see what kind of crazy stuff we're going to do with it. Our next release for Max Press is, uh, I think it's called Forbidden Traditions, and it's going to give uh, players eight new arcane traditions, I think, for the wizard class. Uh, and then we're going to, my focus right now is going to be just kind of pushing out the various classes into darker themes, and then we might move on to monsters later. We're going to see how long this, see how well this does and how long it goes. Um, I'm I'm looking forward to your take on uh, on warlock packs. That'll be fun. Yeah, I've got some I've got some diabolical ideas for that one. <laughs> Is there a pun intended there or not? Uh, you'll have to wait and see. No, I guess so. <laughs> so I, I got to ask. I was going through the um, the website and the the Max Press imprint part of the website, and you mentioned that uh, you were a creepy cat man. What makes you a creepy cat man? Uh, because I, I live, I, well, here's the thing. I have seven darling savage felines that share my, my, my abode. Uh, and we collect them. Uh, they're all rescues. And, but I mean, most, a good chunk of my day is caring for it, feeding and keeping them separate from one another. So they don't tear me or themselves apart. Uh, I also, because I work from home, I don't go very many places. So I'm kind of a, a, a recluse. Uh, the places I go include the grocery store, the post office, and the bar. So those are the three places I pretty much go, and and that's that's about it. So I'm a kind of a creepy cat guy. I, yeah, I guess so. Like, do you, like get weird looks when you walk out of your house and stuff from your neighbors. But because I'm you know dripping blood from all the all the scratches, sneezing because I'm allergic to them. Yeah, it's, yeah. <laughs> wow. Um, also, isn't the uh, isn't isn't the company or this imprint uh, named after one of your cats? Yeah, it's uh, it's named after Max, uh, our uh, first cat my wife and I rescued uh, 22 years ago. And uh, he passed away right at the start of my time on 5th edition. Uh, and so the Max Press, you know, refers to him and it also refers to the time I was working on D&D. And it also kind of speaks to that uh, the strength adjustment you get for having a high strength, your Max Press bonus mm-hmm. and coins, mm-hmm. of course. <laughs> yeah. Um, sure. I'll ask the next one. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, sh- Rob, uh, with your new imprint creating D and D materials, you're still creating Shadow of the Demon Lord stuff, and you have a Kickstarter coming up called uh, Occult Philosophy. It's just shy of 200 pages. It has 800 spells in it, a dozen or so critters, 20 to 30 paths. It's like the biggest release you've had since Shadow of the Demon Lord. So, how does this book add to gameplay, uh, the mythology, the setting, and the stories told in Shadow of the Demon Lord? The main, there are a couple of things are for gameplay in this this uh, this particular project uh, was 
I conceived of it during the first Kickstarter uh, a couple several years ago, and the plan was always to give an expansion to the already uh, we are, I think we had like 700 spells in the game or something like that. Um, was to kind of just balloon out the number of spells to kind of really enrich the world and give players a, a, a wide range of options to demonstrate the full extent that magic can go in the setting and uh, and its various forms. Now, for D and D fans. Uh, spells are they operate in a similar manner to this way you, you're familiar with in any other fantasy role playing game, but we divide them into these big bundles called traditions, and each tradition is kind of a thematic uh, package that wraps around the number of uh, different expressions of that kind of that central theme. So we have spells uh, that we have the forbidden tradition, which has the, the infamous uh, hateful defecation spell and part bone from flesh, and uh, we have cursed spells like toad and petrify. Uh, but it goes on and on. So, but there are more things that I wanted to explore than just the ones that were in the core book. And so we double the number of spells available to the, uh, from ranks zero to five, just about. And then we add uh, spells for ranks six to ten, which are the big, scary, uh, campaign-shaking spells. Um, so what I'm what, what this does is that it means that. Player characters have access to these spells. They might not be able to cast them, but they can usually get them in written form or embedded in a statue they've, they've unearthed from the bottom of the ocean or they was revealed to them by bargaining with a devil. Um, and then they can do some really cool stuff with it. Uh, if you want to have uh, if you want to have every uh, child in a city take 10 damage and then every uh, person over the age of 16 becomes sterile you can cast that spell. So you completely eradicate the city and they, the city becomes, will be dead uh, eventually. Uh, if you want to put that's... a second sun in the sky, you can do that. Um, oh, you're, that's awful. That's, I, I mean, I love it, but that's awful. Yeah, well, you know, and then there's spells that let you redraw coastlines, create pocket dimensions, and, you know, they're all really big, narrative-rich awesome effects and we want it and they're, they're they're sprinkled between rank seven and ten and these are not things that you know you're gonna just i'm gonna walk into town and cast this uh drop a mountain on the city spell it's kind of a big deal to be able to even get the spell and then cast it and you know it's and, and part of the part of this is that i'm not so worried about the long-term effects because these are end of the campaign type things uh my campaigns and uh campaigns and demon lord tend to be short so 11 game sessions anyway so if you have some big world altering event. That's pretty neat to be able to, to bring that into play. Um, so yeah. Uh, and it also is a thing that game masters can use in order to inspire their own campaign ideas. Imagine what happens if some mad cult just uh, wipes out every, you know, wipes out this community with this uh, horrific uh, fog spell of some kind or uh, causes alien gods from the edges of uh, reality to cast their bleary eyeballs upon this 10 mile by 10 mile stretch plot of land and causing everyone to go insane. You know, you, that those are things that player characters can engage in, uh, as, uh, as reacting to these threats to their, their environments. Does this book add any more, um, so like mythology wise and setting wise, any more like, uh, aspects of the demon Lord that people can bring to the play? No, uh, this is largely designed to be kind of just a, a big magic focus. Um, okay. The creatures and that the creatures that will be included are the ones that you'd be summoning or building. Uh, the new paths are going to be expressions of how you get better at de at casting these various flavors of magic. 
Uh, the Kickstarter, however, is also going to, if it's anything like the last one, we will have plenty of opportunity to unlock all sorts of goodies, uh, including uh, a Tartarus source book. Uh, kids at home who know Demon Lord know that Tartarus is a sister planet, this moonlit with an atmosphere. Uh, and I've been hinting and teasing about what's actually there for a long time, and we're going to expose that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the big bad guy, the Witch King, Ashrakal, is going to make a return uh, as, as a possible stretch goal. And if we hit that as well, Demon Lord Companion 3, a bunch of stuff that'll be in that thing that'll be a lot of fun. Very cool. Very cool. I, well, I really hope that when that launches, which we'll talk about it, because, you know, on, on multiple shows, that uh, it gets to all those stretch goals and whatnot so we can have more cool stuff to play with. All right. Um, the last question I have, and we might have some follow-ups, are Are there any plans to take the Shadow of the Demon Lord setting material and some of the mechanical setups you have in the game, especially for playing out contained campaigns, and porting them over to a 5th edition version? Uh, I'm probably not going to do a, 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 a solid conversion to, from Shadow to 5th because I really built Shadow to be its own thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the themes and ideas might make their way across uh, just to kind of... Like I, there's there's a book in my head that, uh, or rather another supplement kind of thing, where it has what I would probably say these are the house rules I use at my table kind of thing, and making uh, making D and D play a little differently and kind of smooth off what I perceive as some of the rougher edges. Um, I also have, have a uh, I've been thinking a lot about doing a campaign style source book that allows you to inject a good strong dose of demon Lord horror into your D and D land, whatever campaign setting you want and slowly turn your world into something awful and grisly, uh, by having some alien or external threat that comes and then just shakes everything up. So that may be, it may also be uh, in the works. It depends on, nice. uh, how the reaction is to our other products in the line. In what way do you plan on releasing these products? Uh, they're going to be released uh, on uh, drive-through and or, or any one bookshelf site plus my website. They will be short PDFs, typically between uh, four and ten pages long. I expect them to be priced at about a dollar ninety-nine to three ninety-nine, depending on page count and art assets that go in, that are involved. Uh, they will be digital only, mm-hmm. uh, and they will and they will be uh, in the broader site uh, of for of uh, one bookshelf. It will not be sold through DMs Guild. Do you ever think about collecting things like that into into larger products and then selling them as like print on demand stuff? Maybe um, I'm not a big. My whole business plan, my whole business approach right now is doing targeted releases to give people the ability to pick and choose what they want. One of the most frustrating things about uh, being an RPG consumer, especially when you're dealing with supplementary material, is that odds are you would buy a book and there'd be three things you'd use out of that book, and the rest doesn't really sync up with what you need. Uh, I can remember how many, I can't tell you how many times I've picked up a book in the past for third or fourth edition where, well, I might use these powers or I might use this prestige class or I might use this block of spells, but the rest of this stuff doesn't really jive with what I'm doing in my campaign. By zeroing in on very specific themes and ideas and keeping the price point low, it allows the customers to kind of tailor their, their, their max press experience and to what they really need in their campaigns. It's worked really well for Demon Lord as a as a product line, and I'm going to see if it'll work for this for this as well. Yeah, I always thought it was really smart what you were doing, Shadow of the Demon Lord. I would always look at those things and be like, oh, that's really cool. There are, there are these really short um, 
pieces that you can just pick and choose what you want of. And now that there's like 170 of them, you really can just kind of pick out the stuff that you want to utilize for your for your game to to go with the game. So I think it's a very smart way to go about selling your products, especially if you can produce them at that kind of a rapid rapid pace because they're always there and they can always be bought then too, right? Right. Yeah. Um, that's really all I had, Sean. Did you have anything else? I usually have one question that I can ask at the end, but um, is there anything else you had, Sean? Um, the only other thing I had was if if sales go well uh, and things look up, are you looking to expand this imprint, bring on other writers, bring on other artists, and and make it bigger? Or yeah, this... for for sure. Uh, if if this is a successful line and this imprint does really well, then I the sky's the limit, um, and we might even start doing fuller, bigger source books in the manner of several other uh, other publishers like what Wolf's doing and uh, and others out there. Um, and even the Ronins or the Ronins, they've got the Book of the Righteous and I know they've got other fifth edition stuff in the works. I totally could see this going uh, to be a thing that would keep me very busy. Uh, but again, it all depends on what the demand is. And that's kind of uh, why I'm, I'm, I'm casting my line into the lake to see what fish bite. Mm-hmm. Okay. So aside, last question, I suppose, is aside from the blasphemies of Borb Walsh and occult philosophy, are there any other products or things that you have going on that you'd like to tell people about? Yeah, so next year we're going to be, uh, we're going back to Kickstarter, well, twice next year uh, after Occult Philosophy. One is going to be for uh, Against the Shadow. It's our new board game that's been in development for about two years. Whoa, whoa, Against the what? Against the Shadow. Oh, and it's a board game? That sounds amazing. Who's designing it? Uh, two of my uh, local guys, when I've been kind of been the developer on this one, uh, it's Dan Heinrich and Adam Dushin. Uh, they've, uh, there have been 12 versions of this game. Uh, it has been thoroughly tested. Uh, right now, there is a, a public play test. You can find it on our G Plus site. Uh, if you do a Shadow of the Demon Lord search on G Plus for as long as it survives, uh, you can find the files there, download them, print and play, and uh, tell us what you think. Uh, and then in June of next year, I will be launching an, the second Kickstarter, which will be for the Punk Apocalyptic RPG, which is an irreverent, vulgar take on post-apocalyptic awesome. So is it is it Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome and all that good stuff? Uh, yeah, yeah it's, it's like gang warfare in the ashes of uh, post-America. Nice. Is it um, using the same system as Shadow of the Demon Lord, or did you come up with something new? I mean, of course, not the same exact system. You modify things to, to customize it to a game, but like the same, some of the same core ideas? The same core concepts are the power of the game. Uh, still attributes will use uh, a scale of 1 to 20 for scores. Modifiers are a score minus 10. Uh, it, in, in Punk Apocalyptic and the Free Company's Four Towers, which is a high fantasy love letter game uh, to uh, Greyhawk that's also in the works, uh, they use eight attributes. Um, it basically takes Demon Lord and the Demon Lord engine and adds a few things and subtracts a few other things to kind of tighten it up a little further. For example, Free Companies of Four Towers uh, uses abstract movement, uses zone combat, stuff like that, instead of having to worry about nudging plastic around or, or metal. Um, Punk Apocalyptic, because it is based on a miniatures game, will use traditional uh, vocabulary for moving your dudes around and all that kind of stuff. But uh, going forward, I'm shifting more towards uh, even faster play experience than what we have with Demon Lord. And I'm pretty happy with the way Demon Lord runs, but I think it always can be faster. Nice. That's really cool. I'm, I'm, I, uh, I like that you have that. I'm, I'm kind of very curious about the, um, the, the Greyhawk-inspired 
inspired by Greyhawk game that is uh, that is fascinating to me. I, I am also really curious about the punk apocalyptic game, but that is not necessarily the genre of game that I often play. But it sounds fascinating. Like, is there going to be rules and stuff for, for like if it's gang warfare for like vehicle warfare too, and for like you know uh, like having hard holds, I guess, if I'm going to use an apocalypse world terminology. Yeah, we've got, uh, it does have rules for uh, for car chases and for fights with, that involve vehicles. Uh, we've got rules for getting plastered by your, by a truck or whatever and falling off and, being ro- and having it roll over you. Uh, the thing to remember, though, is that vehicles in this era, in any, any vehicle that would use electronics is going to be shot because of the nature of the apocalypse. So most people are, who have uh, gas-powered engines are using motorcycles and stuff that probably predates the 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 the, the well mid eighties. Uh, so cars and trucks are relatively rare, and it's far enough into the future that the vehicles that were left have been largely scavenged. So you might find a Lexus or a Tesla being pulled by a couple of mutated horses, but they're not going to be speeding down the roads anytime soon. Um, <laughs> but uh, that said. We do have some broad rules for salvage and for building items. Uh, there's a path called the Junker, and you get a couple. And in the core book, you'll have a choice of, I think, six to eight different um, cool devices you can build. And then you get to modify those with upgrades. So you have a choice to either keep upgrading your device or then to diversify and get other types of devices. So you might have this the Vaporetta steam cannon that you carry this big uh, churning tank of boiling water in your back. Never a bad idea. And you can walk around and blast people with your tank, or you could go with the electric suit. It's the Kraken Snap suit, <laughs> which has a couple car batteries attached to it, and you just uh, shock people with your stick. It's good stuff. Nice. nice. I like it a lot. Uh, well, that's everything, I suppose. Uh, where can we find you on the internet, Rob? Well, you could find me at schwalbentertainment.com, and that is spelled S C H W A L B. Uh, you can also find me on Facebook as Robert J. Schwalb. You look for the cra- look for the the Robert J. Schwalb with the weird Facebook profile pic. I'm on Twitter as at RJ Schwalb. Uh, I will be on Google Plus until midtime next year, also under Robert J. Schwalb. <laughs> I'm now on MeWe, which is probably going to be the new home for our uh, community until we get our forums up and running. Uh, and that would also again, I mean, this might surprise you, but I'm also found as Robert J. Schwalb there. So you can typically find me in most of them, except for Snapchat, 4chan, not very often on those kind of things. It's all about, you know, managing my sanity. <laughs> that seems reasonable, right? Okay. I know. I think all of us will be on G plus until sometime in the middle of next year when we all just decide, you know, fall off the face of the G plus earth, right? Yeah. <laughs> Go screaming into the void. All right. Well, with that, thank you so much for being here. And um, I'd also like to thank everybody else out there for listening. And I'm going to do a few Patreon shoutouts before we get out of here. Uh, Robert Aducci, Jeff Stevens, MT Black, The Closet Gamer, Troy Pitchelman, Jason Pitt, Donahue McCarthy, Wayne Peterson, Tomitatsu Okoye, The Space Rhino, I hope the space hamster is keeping you company, Nate Broom, Steve Bissonette, Evil Rich, John Just John, Jean Lorber, or Jean Lorber, uh, Dan Simons, Chelsea Clark, Matthew Pezzarelli, Ryan Bolter, and Robert Day. And speaking of patrons, if you'd like to be a patron of Down with D&D, you can click on the link to our Patreon page on the website, and for $2 a month, you can get a shout-out like you just heard. Or for $4 a month, you not only get a shout-out, but you also get to see our pre-production show notes and have access to our Slack room for life. Uh-huh. If you can't help us monetarily, but you want to give us a boost, you can do so with an Apple Podcast review. Even if you're not listening via Apple Podcast, they other podcatchers use Apple Podcasts to rate and rank shows, and giving us a review would make us more visible, and we'd appreciate that. So, Sean, where can we find you on the Internet? 
Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Sean Merwin or on the Down with D&DG Plus community for the next few months or so. Mm-hmm. How about you, Chris? Uh, you can hit me up at Misdirected Mark. That's the network and network Twitter, and I'll respond to there even for Down with D&D stuff. Or you can go to the website where you can catch other great shows such as this one, The Gnomecast. Several gnomes from Gnome Stew get together to talk about a gaming topic and themselves a bit in an effort to avoid being thrown in the stew and entertain you. Down with D&D is a Misdirected Mark production, the media arm of Encoded Designs. So, uh, Rob... Uh, what are we going to do now, if you, if you know? I think we're going to go kill some freaking monsters. Woo! You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? This whole party. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. I'm down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D?